0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the Christmas holiday season and thank you God for <clears throat> special times like this when we can decorate our sanctuary with garland and lights and poinsettias and God, thank you that it has become such a big deal in our country the Christmas season. And yet, Father, we take that a little bit further and we say thank You that You have told us that this has so much to do with Jesus. Indeed, there is no Christmas apart from Christ. Today, Father, we come to Your Word asking that Your truth would be clear to us and that You would tell us how this means something, anything to us. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. Father, make that truth very real. Save us from our sins. God, I speak on behalf of all of us. We need You. Our sins are many. Our needs are great. Oh, Father, be near to us. We ask now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bible to that passage that they just read, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is uh, tucked away in the Old Testament, about in the middle of it. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that's okay. We have a pew Bible there in front of you, those black Bibles that are there in front of you. And it's page 275. So if you want to use a pew Bible, it'd be page 275 there in front of you. We're doing this Christmas series on the promises of God. And last week, we looked at promise needed. Uh, We need a promise from God. If you're like me, you are aware of your shortcomings before God, your sins, uh, and you know that you need God. You need forgiveness. You need a Savior. And So last week I talked about here at Christmas season, we don't really get into the point of Jesus being the coming Savior if we don't know that we need a Savior. And so last week was that we needed a promise from God, or we need a promise from God. And we looked at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and the sin of Adam and Eve, and how it was a a failing to trust God and a listening to Satan and temptation, and they were sinning, they need a promise from God. Well, today I'm going to look at God makes promises to us. Then next week, I'm going to look at us living in uh, the period of anticipating the, the promises to all be fulfilled. We know that God has said some things. Now we're just waiting for Him to come through with them. we just saying that Jesus is going to return, and you and I are just now anticipating that He will return. And, and then the, the last Sunday, which will be the Sunday before Christmas, December the 21st, I will, I will preach on the promise fulfilled and how God has fulfilled all of His promises so far, and we have nothing but uh, the, the, the reason and proof that we should continue trusting Him to fulfill the promises left, His return and heaven and salvation. So it's the promise needed, the promise made by God, the promise anticipated, and then the promise fulfilled is what we are uh, looking at this Christmas season. Today is promise made. And I want you to know that God has made some promises. And I know that we are a people who put a lot of emphasis on integrity and being people who can keep their word, being people who can live up to what they have said that they would do. That's a big deal to us, okay? And it should be. Well, I want you to know today that the Bible has told us that God has made a promise. And I want us to be certain that when God makes a promise, He keeps His promises. There are many many promises in the Bible. You know, one of the very first promises that God gave was when He flooded the earth and He put the rainbow in the sky. And He made a promise, even a covenant, that He would not do that again. He would never flood the earth again. And while there may be a lot of people who say, well, I don't believe that, I I assure you that I do. Uh, I, I, I believe that the earth was flooded by God, and I believe that God will never do that again. And I believe that every single time that we see a rainbow in the sky... Sunshine and rain and whatever else calls a rainbow. um, That's a promise from God. And every time we see that rainbow, we think, man, I'm reminded that God makes promises. And I'm reminded that He keeps those promises. Okay. And today is about the promises of God and that He has made them. We want this to climax in the idea that God has promised, listen to me, that there's not a person sitting here today that is too far gone. That God has promised... There's there's not a one of you here that is so wicked to the core that that you're without hope. There's not a person here today so wrapped up in a sinful, rebellious lifestyle that God's not for you. There's not a person here today who's so down and out, depressed, or, or hurting, or whatever, that God's not for them. He clearly says that anybody who comes to Him can be saved, can be accepted, will be accepted. Anybody who comes to Him by faith, believing who He is and what He's done. Anybody who comes to Him uh, asking for forgiveness of sins. Anybody who comes to Him saying, Father, I I, I repent of my sins, I turn from my sins, will You forgive me? The Bible says that He will, and He has promised us that. And we want to see that today. Well, I want us to look at specifically this promise in 2 Samuel 7, uh, where God makes a promise to King David. Many of y'all know of King David, and David is what we know to have been the best king in the Bible. He is a hero in many of ways. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want us to look at this promise that's in verse 16, if you'll look at verse 16. And then from there, I want to go back a little bit and just kind of tell you the story of David to see where this will take us to. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 says, talking uh, to David. Now, this is Nathan the prophet talking uh, to David, and he says, And your house and your kingdom, now he's talking to David the king, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What a promise. God speaking through Nathan tells King David that your house, And your throne, your kingdom, will be forever. Nathan died. Nathan, I mean, David David died. David's dead. David's not living on earth right now. But his throne is. And his throne will be. And his throne always will be forever. What in the world does that mean? That's a promise from God, and I hope to explain it. Today. Let me tell you the story. God created people, you, me, Adam, and Eve, everybody. So that we would love Him. That's His whole purpose. He created us that we would love Him and worship Him. We just read that in the call to worship, or in the New Testament reading that Brian read that said, Here's the greatest commandment of the whole thing love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. That's what the whole Bible's about. I know there's a lot of people out in the world that want to tell you that the Bible's confusing, but really, if you were to close it and just say, What's this about? It's going to be about this. You are to be loving God with your whole heart. You're to be loving people the way you would love yourself. You can't do that. Well, you know that. You fall short of that. So you need somebody to forgive. Give you of your sins and bring you back to loving God, and that's what Jesus has done. That's what the whole Bible's about. And it's very thorough in explaining all of that. Okay? So God made us that we would love Him, that we would be worshiping Him. And yet, while we may do it sometimes and we're focused on that, sometimes we don't at times too, and that's called sin. We fall short of that. Well, in making His people, He sets them up into a kingdom or, or, into, a, or into a nation of people. And he says, I'll I'll be your king. I'll lead you. God is going to reign over His people and who's better for us than God? Uh, And so God's going to lead His people. But then, the people of God get a little bit rebellious and frustrated. And they tell God, we don't like you being our king. It doesn't seem to work for us and and, and we're not like the other nations that are around us that we seem to be going against. We want our own king, God. And God says, no you don't. You don't want a king. Let me be your king. I know best. I'm better than any earthly king. Let me be your king. And they say, no, we want a king. We want a king like the other nations have a king. We want a king that that wears a helmet. And we want a king that knows how to fight. We want a king that that has a sword in his hand and rides on a horse that, that looks like this dominant king that we can look at and say, that's our king. God says, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. So God gives them King Saul and he's the first king. And Saul starts off awesome. He thinks Saul's going to be this great king, and they're excited about it. The Bible says that he's big and tall and handsome, and he was this great leader. But Saul fell, fell into pride, lost his integrity. Saul messed up and fell, and it hurt the kingdom. It messed them up. It led them astray, and they were devastated. And God says to them, this is why I told you you don't want a king. Because when kings are good, it's good. But when kings are bad, it's really bad. And now your leader that y'all put all your stock in has let you down and disappointed you. And they realize, wow, we, we weren't right in what we thought. We thought we wanted a king, but it didn't work out for us. But then it comes time to get another king. And God's going to send them a good king. And God sends Samuel to Jesse's house because God says... The king is there. He tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house and to pick out, uh, to pick out a king. If you look in, just turn back a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel is the book before 2 Samuel. So if you'll turn back a little bit to just chapter 16, you'll see this story. At 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'll start reading in verse 6. Remember, Samuel has come to the house of Jesse. It says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Let me tell you who Eliab is. Eliab is Jesse's oldest son. So when he goes to the house looking for this next king, he thinks, okay, uh, Jesse, I'm looking for a son. Uh, Which one of your sons? Because I'm here to to pick out a king. And he he shows him Eliab. And and Samuel even says, man, surely this is him. This is the the oldest of the sons, maybe the biggest, the strongest, the most successful, the smartest. He looks at him, but verse 7 says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I want to ask you if you know that today. God is not looking for you to be the biggest or the best, and God is not looking for you to be the most handsome or the smartest. God's not looking for that at all. The Bible says it right here. God's looking on the inside of us at our heart. Not only does that go for your performance, but that goes on your love for God. Can I remind you here today that we are working as hard as we possibly could to communicate to you that you being a worshiper of God and a follower of Jesus has, has very little to do with the, what you're doing in the sense of going to church, not going to church, reading your Bible, not reading your Bible, uh, caring for people or not caring for people. Okay? I'm the pastor of the church, very religious man, but I want you to hear that. Being here does not necessarily speak anything to where your heart is. Helping people at Christmas time does not necessarily speak anything to where your heart is. And the Bible is teaching us right here today that God is not looking on the outside that you're a fine Christian God lover simply because you're here. He's not. God looks on the inside. God is looking at your heart. God doesn't look at the what near as much as He's looking at the why. Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? Why do you want to care for the needy? Why do you want to be a giver? Why do you worship me? Those sort of things. And that's what he's teaching here. Samuel walks up and thinks, man, that guy surely is to be the next king. He's a stud. God says, no, I'm rejecting him. I don't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward, but I look on the heart. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, seven of them. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. So he sent him there to pick out the king, and he goes through seven of the man's sons, Jesse's sons, and doesn't find one. So Samuel's thinking, I'm confused now. Verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are are all your sons here? Jesse said, Well, there's one more. He's the youngest, but he's out keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. We'll wait. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. I love this sentence. Now he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes. And was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And next thing you know, we have the one identified that is to be the next king of the people of God. Now this is a long time ago uh, in history. But we have David. And we see here God choosing David, not at all because he was the biggest, he was the youngest of of eight. The youngest of eight brothers he was. He didn't look at all like that's going to be the one that I'm going to use to go and establish the kingdom that would represent the people of God on earth, to to point out the glory of God on earth. Yet that's who God chose. Can you be reminded here this Christmas season? It's not in the what, but it's in the why. And that God sees the heart. And I want to challenge you that as a human being and then thinking of your relationship with God, would you be most concerned with not what you're doing, but the why? And would you be honest enough to say, where's my heart? Has God forgiven me of my sins? Have I trusted Him to forgive me of my sins? All oh, the strength that there is for your family and for our community when we become people who are most concerned with our own hearts. May we truly be good-hearted people. Not because we're originally good-hearted people, but because God has caused us to reflect on our hearts and then turn to Him to be forgiven of our sins. So David starts to live as a king. I write in our Advent devotional... David was the underdog in the household of Jesse. When the Lord sent Samuel to Jesse's house to find the next king, there were seven sons that seemed to look like a king, but God did not choose any of them. Then Samuel asked Jesse if that was all of his sons. Jesse told him he had one more. This son was the smallest and the youngest. He was outside tending to the sheep. This was David. This was God's man. This was Israel's next king. And David turned out to be a good king. He served God and he served his people well. He served them for forty years. He reigned on the throne for forty years. But just like all leaders, listen to me. Just like all leaders, David's time came to an end. And what would this mean for God's people? And what would come next? And so we pick back up at our passage we started with in Second Samuel seven. It's a book later. And here's what we've got. And there needs to be a house for God. Up until this point, there wasn't a, there wasn't a central place where it was the dwelling place of God where people could go to worship. And so David says that he's going to build God a house. That was one of David's promises, that David's going to build God a house. And David's going to make a house where God would dwell and people could know that God's there in that house and people could go there to worship God. And David said he was going to do that next thing you know, it kind of comes towards the end of David's life and David hasn't kept his promises. Listen, folks, people like us at times don't keep our promises. As well-intended as we are, and for as good-hearted as you may be, we sometimes don't keep our promises. Sometimes there's a legitimate excuse, excuse and sometimes there's not. Sometimes we've just messed up. Sometimes we've just dropped the ball. And in David's case, he's not able to do this. He's not able to build the house of God. God's not going to let him. And so, they begin to wonder what's going to happen. And you pick back up at 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you're wondering what's this going to mean for the the people. And then that's when Nathan comes and starts speaking to David and says he's not... But in verse 12, this is exactly the passage that Jake read, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. In other words, David, when you're done, when your reign is over and you're done and you lie down to die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jump down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There's that promise from God that we started with. God now makes a promise to David in the midst of David not keeping his promises, a promise that David is supposed to think yes to. Yes. And you and I read that and we're like, well, what exactly does this mean? David dies and they get another king and... That king dies and they get another king and next thing you know, we're going through all these kings, but they're all dying and it's hardly that the throne is established forever and and yet that's just for a little bit. And then what's it going to mean that this happens forever, like even till now, even though that's been a long time, even till now? Well, now I ask you to turn over in your Bibles to the New Testament, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, you have the angel coming and telling oh favored Mary that she's going to have a baby. I know you know what Christmas is about. The virgin Mary had a baby boy. That's Jesus. Jesus, listen to me, does not have an earthly father. Now he has Joseph that married Mary and who raised him. But Jesus did not come from Joseph. Jesus came from God. God Himself made Mary pregnant. Okay, Jesus was born of a virgin. This is one of the many reasons why we believe in the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God. It was truly a miracle that this happened. Well, at Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the angel shows up. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. "...to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you." But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." That's a good thing. "...and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High." And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Does everybody see that? Here we are in the New Testament. It's been quite a while. And the angel comes to Mary and says, You're about to have a baby. And the baby that you're going to have is going to be given the throne of his father David. Verse 33 says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom, there will be no end. Folks, the New Testament writers, Luke and others, want you and I to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God that there will be a King forever from God. Let me say that again. The New Testament writers, Luke and others, want you and I to know that the promise of God a long time ago, that there will be a king who reigns forever over the people of God, there will be a king, that promise, that king is Jesus. Jesus is the reigning king. Then, now, and forever. Last week I talked about the promise needed. Adam and Eve desperately needed God to forgive them of their sins. You and I desperately need God to forgive us of our sins. There is no hope apart from God forgiving us. There is no, I hope I did well enough when we stand before God in judgment. But I'm here to tell you that the promises of God do find their answers in Jesus. And the hope that we need is available through God's promises. In Luke chapter 1, we have the angel telling Mary, this child that you're going to have will be on the throne. He will reign and He will have a kingdom. Very much so, three strong words. Throne, reign, and kingdom. And Jesus is the fulfillment of those things that we knew all so well there in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel. God speaks to King David through the mouth of Nathan the prophet. The context is about building a house for God. It's been a while since God has had a house to dwell in. The people of Israel have been on the move continuously and God was dwelling in a tent. But God would tell David that he is not the one to build the house. God goes on to tell David that he will do it himself. God will build the house. God will establish the throne. God is making His covenant, His promise to David in this way. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before Me. Your throne shall be established forever. Listen to this, folks. This promise means everything to us. As I've said already, a promise is a commitment by someone to do something. God's promises, listen, are the difference in your life between life and death, heaven and hell, peace and turmoil, joy and misery, forgiveness and condemnation. And when God saves somebody, He puts puts our faith and our trust in Jesus that He will save us and He will be a good God and King to us forever. And we need that promise to be true. And we as Christians believe that promise to be true. God's promise in 2 Samuel 7 is that David's throne and reign will last forever. And that is what we are trusting in. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus is the King from David's line that will reign forever. Christ's reign will conclude human history. Matthew Henry writing on this says, Though David came short of making good in his purpose to build God a house, yet God did not come short of making good His promise to build Him a house. Such is the tenor of the covenant we are under. Listen to this. Though there are many failures in our performances, there are none In God's. When God makes a promise, folks, you can take it to the bank. You can believe it and trust it. Listen to me. When God makes a promise, you can turn from your sins, run to Him, surrender, and put your entire life on it. That's what the worship of God is inside of Christianity. Christ as Lord and us following Him. Matthew Henry goes on to write, Other crowns do not endure to every generation, but Christ does. Other crowns do not endure to every generation, but Christ does. I want to ask you here today, if you know Christ to be a king, I want to ask you here today, if, if you would say that Christ is, Christ is my king, very much so in a, in a real sense Christ is a King over me. My life is lived, surrendered to the reign of King Jesus. Because I know Him to be King, and because I know Him to be the forgiver of my sins, and the Savior of my life. I want to ask you if you know that this King that we're talking about is a suffering servant. The Bible says that Jesus came to earth to save us. The way He had to go about saving us is truly a remarkable story. Yes, He's a baby born in a manger. but He grew up. We hardly know anything about Him until He was age 30. There's only one, listen to me, there's only one story of Jesus before age 30. It's one story of when He was a 12-year-old boy and all it says is that He got lost from His family and He was in a temple learning from the teachers. That's all it says. The next thing we know is at age 30 starting His ministry. He was killed at age 33. And everything that we do know about Him points to the fact that He is God and that He never sinned. That's who Jesus is. It's this remarkable story. Everybody was intrigued by Him. There's something special about him. Jesus never sinned and he loved people. And even even like the major outcasts, even people that were like real drug addicts, and even people who were messed up in all types of sexual morality. I'm talking about real things, women who had been with a different man every day, men who constantly were using people and using money and using drugs and using women and, and that sort of Jesus was with those people. And he was so incredibly awesome and wise at at balancing the loving them, serving them, doing anything he could for them, yet being able to speak to them truth and in love and to help them and to be able to to point them where they're wrong and help them to to come to repentance and see their need for God. He's, He's the best example you'll ever see or you'll ever have at being able to do that. And some people, the religious ones, didn't like him at all they said, we're going to do away with him. Because he talks so much about God, we can't keep being religious leaders if this guy has such a following. So we'll kill him. And they killed him. But on the way to killing him, Jesus tells us, reminds us, tells them, you can't take my life from me. I'm about to lay it down. You and I are to know that yes, Jesus was murdered, but it was also him willingly being murdered. he let them. God let them kill him. And when Jesus was murdered, he had never sinned. The Bible says that you and I will die because we've sinned. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus never did. So why did he die? And there you see this whole point. Promise needed. Promise made. You and I need somebody to die for us. To wipe away our sins. To make us clean and right and pure. God said he would. We need it. God said He would. We need it. God said He would. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They didn't quite understand it at the time. It says the earth got dark. Everybody was upset. Even his followers were, were confused. And then three days later, Christ rose from the grave. He was back. He was better. He was healed. He was new. The scars were gone, except for the three or the four from the stab and the nails. Jesus showed them He is God. He is Lord. He is King. He is Savior. And if anybody believes that and trusts that, they will be saved. He ascended up into heaven. If anybody comes to Jesus and says, God, I need You to forgive me of my sins. I know now that you look on the heart. doesn't matter if I've done good or done bad. doesn't matter if I'm weighing how good of a person I am. You're looking at my heart, and inside my heart are some dark spots or some things that I don't really want to talk about, I don't want to admit. I've got sins like everybody else does. And if you can say that before God, then you need Jesus to be your Savior. But what the Bible is promising us is that yes, He'll be your Savior, but not only your Savior, He will be your Savior and He'll be your King. You will have a great God that loves you and leads you and takes care of you, not just till you die, but forever. Remember, His throne, His reign, and His kingdom will never end. Folks, this Christmas, we are not celebrating just that God came. We are celebrating that God came to save us and to be our leader, our God, our King forever. And for everybody that believes in Him and trusts Him, they are safe forever. Always. In our Advent devotional, it's so good. One of our deacons, Andrew Barry, writes, This holiday season, keep God's promises at the center of your mind. Although there are many things that can, that can divert our attention away from Jesus, many which are really good, family, friends, work, etc., keep in mind that we're celebrating the fulfillment of all of God's past promises. Also, trust the certainty of God's promises. While as sinful human beings, we often fail at keeping our promises, God always keeps His Word. This Christmas, as your life experiences the ups and downs that all of ours are going through right now, I want to ask you if you're looking for a God to reign over you, A God to protect you and to lead you. A God to provide for you. A God to satisfy you. I want to ask you if your heart's telling you, you need God, you need forgiveness. And if that's you, I want to point you to some promises that can be trusted. A promise that God has made a kingdom that will never end. And it tells us this life will end. You and I are sure to die here soon enough. This earth will be gone here soon enough. But the kingdom of God will not. We will be with Him forever if Christ is our King and we've been forgiven of our sins. I ask you today to believe in Him and let Jesus be your King. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, thank You for the promises You give us Thank You, God, for the promise that comes from 1 Samuel to King David to 2 Samuel to King David dying and then from Nathan. And then we see early in the New Testament in the Gospel that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. The throne forever. Jesus on the throne forever as our Savior and as our King. God, I pray that here today You would move in our hearts that we would trust that.